host, Karen Davis-Thompson. Just a few things I want to talk to you about before we start today's episode. Uh, So excited for episode one, season two. We're going to be talking with Egypt Sherrod today. And while a lot of us may know her from HGTV, I actually reached out to her after a friend of mine sent me a video that Egypt shared where she talked about the alarming number of people of color who go missing each year. And uh, she talked a lot about uh, human trafficking and the fact that it doesn't always get the attention it deserves. She brought up a few things that I never even thought to pay attention to while I'm out in public. uh, And it really struck a chord with me. And so I wanted to talk with her about that a little further. Uh, And then I also reached out to the founders of the Black and Missing Foundation. Uh, And they uh, will be my guests next week. They also had some great information to share. One thing, for example, that really resonated with me was that a lot of times when our children of color go missing uh, and they're teenagers, they are almost automatically uh, classified as a runaway, which means that there's no Amber Alert. And so you have a 13, 14, 15 year old. To me, it doesn't matter if they ran away. Clearly, there's an issue there. Uh, and they need to be rescued. They're not thinking clearly. There may be something going on that they need help with. Whatever the reason, um, I just, that really, really kind of struck a chord with me. Uh, There were also some statistics on their website I wanted to share, and this is from 2018. And from what I understand, these numbers have increased. But back in 2018, people of color made up about 38% of those who uh, went missing every year. That equated to about 317,500 men and 302,200 women every year that went missing. Uh, They talk a lot about what they need help with as they try and bring awareness to this. Uh, I will put Egypt's um, video on the show notes today. Just wanted to encourage all of you to find out how you can help when you see something on the news, share it on social media uh, so that we can all band together uh, and be that village to bring home our family members, our loved ones that go missing. Um, Would love to get your thoughts about this. Uh, If you have a story to tell about a missing loved one that you haven't been able to get the traction you need uh, to help find them, you know, hit us up at KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. You can always reach us there. Of course, always on Facebook or the Gram. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. We have a few things that are going to be coming up, really exciting things we want to be able to share with you. So if you're a part of the mailing list, you'll be the first to get that information. So it'd be great for you to email us and we'll add you to the list. Uh, We'll hope that these episodes resonate with you the way they did with me um, and that will prompt you to want to try and do what you can to help. Hello, hello, and welcome to In My Shoes. It's a podcast for women of color where we talk about the issues we're facing on a daily basis. And I am your host, Karen Davis Thompson, and I'm excited to have Egypt Sherrod as my guest today. I'm going to give her a chance to say hello, and um, I'll let you guys know why I wanted to do this interview today. I'm super excited about this opportunity. Hi, Egypt. How are you? Hi, Karen. How are you? Hello, everyone. Love and light. Thank you so much. I am a big fan. I've been watching you on HGTV for years, and um, actually a friend of mine sent me a video in Messenger, I guess about, oh three or four weeks ago. And it was you really doing more of like a PSA where you were talking about the number of uh, black and brown women who go missing. And uh, there isn't as much uh, press as you see when perhaps a white woman, white male goes missing. And then you talked a lot about human trafficking. Could you talk a little bit about that video and why it was something that you wanted to do? You know, there have been many, um, Karen, anything that I do is from my heart right? It's not prompted. (laughs) I'm not hired. No one put me up to that. As a mother, as a woman, 
as a black woman, these issues concern me as well, right? I have a 19-year-old daughter who's in college. I have an eight-year-old and I have a one-year-old. And I worry about them daily, about every little thing. I'm, I'm certainly an alpha mom. But to see the videos all over the gram now of women literally, I mean, people filming it, they're that bold trying to snatch women off the street. Or if, for instance, there was another video I, I posted <clears throat> that I saw, and it just shook me to my core of women who were going on a girl's retreat and someone just literally with a key accessed their hotel room while they were in it. It was a group of men. They had one of the women's name, but they didn't expect that the room would have so many women in it at the time. They were all gathered there. I guess they thought that she'd be there by herself. And as it turned out, the manager of the hotel gave them the key and her name. I mean, just willy nilly gave it to her because they showed up. I mean, I think he was in on it, but that just kind of shows you the, the the deepest levels, the pits of hell that some of these lowlifes will go to just to snatch a woman. A snatch, I mean, it doesn't even take a woman anymore. I mean, they're doing it to little boys as well. And it's for various reasons. Obviously, sex trafficking is one of the most prominent. But now organ trafficking, um, which I think has been going on for decades, uh, is now becoming more known. So there was a video just recently <clears throat> where a mother, I mean, she was hyperventilating and thank God uh, other people came out of their hotel room to help her. But a man literally walked into her hotel room where she was with her children, grabbed her little boy and tried to drag her little boy out of the room. And he was like, I'm taking him. I'm taking him. She had to wrap her legs and arms around her child and fight this man off. He was so bold, even with her, an adult there. And as others came out of their room, he continued to try and snatch this child from the mother. Uh, luckily, the father, I guess, I don't know where he was. He came out and they were all able to, you know, sort of gather around this guy and keep him there until law enforcement got there. But what I'm saying is this is happening around not just, you know, uh, where I am in Atlanta, not just around our country, but around the world. Lives are being snatched. People are missing their children. Just last year, 75,000 black women went missing. Did you see 75,000 posters? Did you see 75,000 broadcasts on television? You you did probably had no idea it was that number of women missing with no trace. So this is a, it just as big of a pandemic as COVID right now. I would agree. And and um, I saw an episode, it was, I can't remember what it was on Good Morning America, but they were talking about uh, something similar to this and would just love to get your opinion on why is it, you know, they were complaining about the fact that this particular reporter who was out, uh, who was black has been um, reporting on various cases when it was a white female that had gone missing for one reason or another. And there were mothers, you know, one mother, the, the, the her daughter's been missing for more than 10 years. And it was like, because she was 16, the assumption was just that she ran away, you know, and their feeling was, what is it? What do we have to do for us to get the same level of 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 exposure. And he even spoke to um, a gentleman who talked about the fact that with the number of people who are missing every year, like the, the majority of them are people of color. So why do you think it's so difficult for Black women, mothers, fathers, when their children go missing to get the exposure that a Natalie Holloway gets, for example? I, I don't think we have to ask why. We all know why. 
<laughs> we know why the generational and systematic racism that exists across the board, um, period. <laughs> and so because of that, there's a thought that black lives simply do not matter or matter as much. Thus the movement black lives matter. You know, um, the, the reality is black girls, um, are, are just, you know, they're thought to be willy-nilly and out in the street. The press just does not highlight it. Why? Because they go for ratings and they assume that, um, you know, white lives are going to get higher ratings when they report on it. Thus, it's, you know, thus that's sending out the connotation that white lives are more important. And so, you know, it's not the why. We know why. Let's not even play those games. What It's what. What do we have to do? to take care of our own, our own children, our family, our mothers, our sisters, our wives, our, you know, that are disappearing. And, and what it is, is we cannot be silent. We have to speak out. Every single life matters, every single one, even if they did run away. You know what? Until we know otherwise, we have to assume they were snatched and highlight them like they're our own children and family. Because if we don't, it, it just enables and emboldens those who are out here committing these crimes to do it again and do it more and do it in broad daylight and do it when the parents are with them and do it when people are fighting them off and still, you know, it, it emboldens them if they know, not think, but know that they're going to get away with it. And I completely agree. I, I always like to, uh, to ask to get a perspective. I think we all know definitely that um, systemic racism is real. I mean, for you to think a 16, even though if you think she, she's 16, I mean, I guess I don't know what age is it okay for you to just run away and we're not supposed to try to figure out what happened to you. But that was the uh, explanation that she got from the police. Um, and you know how now it's been more than 10 years and, and nothing for her daughter. Um, and it was just interesting to see the frustration uh, because they'll send them out to talk about when, when white girls go missing. Um, have you ever had uh, since you've, you've been posting these videos, had a parent or somebody reach out to you to talk about what it means that you're shining a light on this? And what was that like? You know, when I, when I posted uh, last year, when I posted the video um, that I think you were referring to initially about the sex trafficking, the one you said looked like a PSA, um, I did not even realize it went viral. I just posted it because it was important to me and I wanted to get the message out. Uh, I had no idea until people were DMing me and calling me and, uh, you know, me, uh, media uh, were reaching out to me to do interviews about it. And, you know, that's not why I posted it. Um, it really was just a public service. It was a, it was a warning to people that I care about. And that's everyone who follows me. I care, you know, I care about what happens to them and their children. So uh, yes, parents have reached out to me, have thanked me, have said that their children were missing, have um, you know forwarded the video onto their children who were abroad or in college who needed to just hear someone else, you know, maybe a public figure speak on it because it's the type of thing we tell our kids all the time. And you know, those type of warnings go in one ear and out the other when it's mom and it's dad. But sometimes when the the people who they value or look up to speak on it, then it you know it tends not to. To fall on deaf ears. And so for all of that, I'm grateful because really that's what it was about. I wanted everyone with within my reach to know and be warned. And as I watched it, some of the things that you mentioned, I had never even thought to pay attention to. Like when you mentioned uh, paying attention to the cars that are around you when you first leave, so let's say go in the grocery store versus okay, now what cars are parked next to you when you come back to get in your car or that they may try to put 
um, I guess, something on your windshield to kind of get your attention and you're trying to get it off and that gives them the the opening or the opportunity. Uh, what what do you tell your your daughters as you talk to them about this and, and how does it make you, or does it make you a little more hypervigilant, I guess, when you guys are out in public and, and what do you say to them? Absolutely. I mean, it's to the point where if I'm with more than one of my children, then I don't want to go by myself. I'll have an uncle or a friend or my husband or someone because, you know, if I'm out with three kids, what happens if someone tries to boldly snatch them? How can I hold on to all of them? Right. I've watched on video mothers wrapping their bodies around their children so that someone can't drag them off. So I, I could only imagine if I'm holding one or two, how do I fight for the third, right? So I don't like to go out and take them all out at once unless there's several of us. And so that's, unfortunately, that's a reality, but it's what what I do, unless I know we're going to be in our car and we're in and out someplace, right? The other thing is, baby, I'm packing. I am packing now. Never in my life, I grew up in the inner city. Never in my life did I think that I would have to bear arms. But but when you are a mother and you see that there's literally warfare in the streets, you will do anything it takes to protect you and yours, right? Am I right or am I right? Oh, you are absolutely right. I actually just spoke to some women about that yesterday. I've been, I just applied for my concealed weapon permit. I never in my life thought I would do that. Never in a million, never in a million. I was afraid of guns and I had a grandfather who was a police chief, um, you know, and I, I just, uh, they made my skin crawl, but guess what? <laughs> guess what? Um, you know, it's the, it's one of those things we just have to do to protect our family, our home, our children now. And so, um, you know, the, the other thing is I tell my kids up front, I made my, my daughter sit down and watch videos. I made them watch my video. I made them, um, you know, there's a group of young ladies who, um, have, have been victims of sex trafficking and they've been found or they've been rescued. And so they have these support groups and I made them listen to the support group so that they know that this is real and how to protect themselves. And not only that, if God forbid someone did snatch them, what to do to survive. And so these are the very tough conversations that we have to start having with our kids, because when you shelter them, you're doing them a disservice. But when you educate them, you warn them, you prepare them, you train them, then then you are arming them to be able to stand on their own and hopefully survive if God forbid something happened. And why do you think there seems to be so much more of it that is like, in you know, years ago, if you heard about somebody who was kidnapped or snatched, it was in the dead of night, whatever. But it, as you said, it appears to be like broad daylight. Why do you think people think they can get away with doing it just just out in the open? You know, I have many suspicions about why, and I'll just throw a few out there. I may be right. I may be wrong. But, you know, I did hear, and you can look this up to be fact, that in some countries now, because of antiquated systems and laws that basically told parents, due to population control, told parents in these countries that they could only have one child, um, you know, then they were giving away the girls or they were killing kids at one time if they weren't boys. And so now what's happened is all of these years later, they're overpopulated with men and not enough women in, in one particular country. And I don't want to refer to the country, right? Because it adds a stigma, but you know, you can research this on your own, but in one particular country, there's like eight men to every one woman. And literally the way that the men live are like, they live in barracks or dorms now because without family, without children, without wives, why do they need houses? Why do they need homes? So they're living like in barracks. So, you know, they're pretty desperate and they'll pay for or buy a wife. 
And then so these girls are being snatched from all over the world, from various countries and imported to be wives in certain countries for, you know, where they're overpopulated with men. So that's one reason. The other reason is in some very rich countries where people are falling ill and they have long money um, to pay for not only indentured servants, but they have money to pay for organs. And so, you know, whereas here in our country, maybe we, I mean, and this is going on in our country too, but you know, here we, we get on a donor list if we need an organ, like a kidney or a heart or something like that, while others are paying for people to specifically target those with their blood type, um, those who may have compatible organs. And so these people are literally being hunted, um, you know, for rich folks who need organs. And then you have the low life pimps on the corner, uh, who just know, they already know what it is. They know what life is like in the, in, in America in that, you know, these young black girls are being snatched and nobody cares to look for them and no one's going to publicize it. And their family often doesn't have money to often offer as a reward. And so all they got to do is snatch them and, um, you know, and they get away with it. And then they're out here pimping these girls in hotels all across the globe, you know, all across the country, I should say. Uh, so there's various reasons that it's being done. Um, you know, and it's not just being done, obviously, to black girls and black boys. But the reason that I highlighted that in my video was because of the disparaging rate. I mean, we, we make up a small part of the population in the US. We're still a, a, a minority. We really are black and brown people. Uh, yet the numbers of, of those of us who are disappearing, it's, it really is a crisis. So that is why I highlighted it. Not to say that only black girls and black boys are disappearing and that we need to only focus and that only these lives matter to me. All lives matter to me. They truly do. But, but if, if we are black and brown people and we don't speak out for our own when no one else is, then, then where are we? That's so true. Um, I definitely agree with that as well. And I'm wondering, what do you think, if you could tell somebody what they could do to really help bring attention to this, what would you like to see? What do you think we need to do? I know for me, and you can tell me what your opinion is, um, I do think sometimes we need to call the media out on that. And I mean, I'm a former reporter, but, you know, to really say, hey, we need to be fair about what we're doing as it relates to something like this, because it's not just white girls that are going missing. But what do you think we need to do as black and brown people to bring more attention to it? Um, I, I think we need to speak on it. We need to call it. But then also we got to stop being afraid when we see it. We have to come to each other's rescue. We have to start being each other's heroes again. Black men have to start speaking up for black women. They have to start being our protectors again. Black women, um, you know, we have to start arming ourselves and being prepared and knowing how to protect ourselves. We have to get our self-esteem up so that when someone whispers how beautiful they think we are in our ear, that's not the first time we've ever heard it in our life and then fall prey. So there, there are a lot of things <laughs> that we can do, but, but it really starts with being aware. And I know you said you're packing now, but how long ago did you make that decision? I'm, I'm still in the throes of it. <laughs> I, I know it was just last year. Yeah, it's been about, um, it's just been a few months. I went to the shooting range for the first time. How was that for you? It, it Because it really, every time I heard it, the pop, even with the headphones on, I kept jumping. Was, was it difficult when you first went to shoot? Yeah, it was very difficult, right? Because again, I I, I never thought. I never wanted to, you know, but then you do it out of necessity. And so then you, um, you know, you got to woman up a little bit, but yeah, the first time I pulled that trigger, it was, it, it was scary. 
shattered me. The sound just rocked my, the, my soul. And then you keep doing it. And then you, you, you know, you get, you get some confidence about you and then you start to think thoughts. And, and what I would say is if you're trying to work up the courage to, to shoot a gun, to learn for self-defense, then imagine yourself or your family in some of these situations where you'd have to actually use it with the hopes and prayers that you never will. That's a good point. Yeah, I had the same reaction. It was just the, you know, the sound and doing it for the first time was really nerve wracking, but I think it'll be something I get as I, as I continue on. Um, I just wanted to ask you just a little bit, uh, just what kind of projects were you working on um, that we can look forward to? It's coming up. Sure. And thanks for asking. Um, Obviously, Flipping Virgins and Property Virgins are still in reruns many years later. And I just learned that uh, they're now running in Africa. So they've added another continent to my reach. And I've started to get followers from Africa as well. And I'm grateful um, for that. So my husband and I are actually working on a series together that I cannot speak much more on because you know how these things are until it actually um, comes out. So please just be on the lookout for that as well. Uh, I'll be hosting the National Black MBA Conference coming up um, uh, in a couple of weeks as well. So go to NMBAA for more information. And you can always kind of check me out on Instagram, Egypt Sherrod, to find out what's happening next. And how did you actually get started? Like I said, I've been watching you for years on HGTV. How did that start for you? HGTV? Well, organically. (laughs) I was a radio personality in New York City, but also a real estate broker. And I would talk casually on my radio show about my other business, you know, and just kind of interjected and, you know, just naturally into everything that I did and talked about. And one day I happened to get a call while I was on the air from a casting director who said that they were recasting property virgins. There was another host at the time, but she was based in Canada and they wanted to move the show to the USA. Um, they asked me to come and audition. And then I, I, that was on a Thursday. They asked, I was auditioning that Saturday and Sunday in Canada in front of the executives. Monday, I had an offer to host the show and my tenure, um, that gosh, that was what, nine, 10 years ago, 10 years ago or so now that, happened and it's just been an enjoyable ride it's very true to form as a real estate broker in Atlanta Georgia I help you know home buyers buy and sell all day so property virgins just help magnify my business in my career and then I decided hey you know what's next well my husband and I you know my family we also flip houses and we've been doing that for years which is how I got into real estate in the first place let me pitch a show about flipping and I did and that's where flipping virgins came from and I I was the executive producer as well as host of that the show's no longer filming but um, it is in rerun and you can catch it on demand at any time. So it's just, it's been a great ride and I truly love what I do. I love what I do. You know, they, they say, you know, what would you do if you weren't getting paid? I'd say, well, I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but I do love um, what I do. It's what I think about when I wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night. And I love my clients. They've often become friends. And so, you know, it, it may not be glamorous. Real estate's not glamorous to some people, but um, for me, it's the dream career. And do you find that, you know, I watch a lot of those uh, shows where they're flipping houses on HGTV. Do you find that uh, people of color are a little more uh, conservative? I've always kind of wanted to try that. And you look at the numbers for what it takes to buy the house and put the money out there to flip it. Um, 
you know, do you find that we can be a little more conservative with that? And, and, and if somebody was interested in starting something like that, could, would they, should they start smaller? What, what would you should suggest? No, I don't think it's, I haven't found, you know, a disparity between people of color, um, you know, as far as what they're spending or level of risk. No. Um, you know, I, as far as representation on television, yes, there's a, there's a disparity. Um, you know, there, I think there's some sort of mindset just across the board that black people don't own or buy houses, which is a stereotype that I'm trying to break because we know that, that it, that's not the case, but, um, you, you know, no, I work, I work with people of all backgrounds, all colors, all uh, pocket sizes, teaching them how to flip houses. I have a program. It's called flip with egypt.com you can go and check it out yourself where you know i I just kind of go through the ins and outs the rhyme and reason behind how and why we choose certain properties to flip and how to make sure that you get a profit every time so yeah and i think that's a good point too yeah i go off of what i see you know when i'm watching those shows and very rarely uh do you have a host of color and they don't typically have a lot of clients of color either. So that's a good point that it's really more what I'm seeing and not necessarily what may be true to form, you know, what's really going on out there. Um, And I was just wondering, just curious, how has quarantine life been for you and for the family? Uh, How many months in are we now? Five, six months into this? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, Here's what I say. The first 60 days were a challenge because like I said, I have a new baby. Normally I have a nanny that would come and take care of her during the day so I could go out and work and my eight-year-old would be in school and all her activities. And it was as if for the first 60 days, I just couldn't get anything done because they were home. And of course, if they're home, they're up under me. So uh, that was a challenge for me. My hair was standing straight up on my head. Um, I hadn't had a pedicure, manicure, and um, I think I had facial hair growing. So that, but I, but everyone was going through that, you know, just trying to deal and do the homeschooling. Now I've got a better pace. You know, we've kind of, we, my husband and I were tag teaming it. Uh, we have systems in place and, you know, we have a family member luckily who takes our kids during the day and she goes nowhere because she's retired. So that, that has allowed us to kind of get back to some, some sense of normalcy. And I say that, you know, of course with, with my hands in the air, cause nothing about this is normal. Um, but, but here's what I've learned. Cause I want to look at the bright side of things. Always. I have learned that sometimes when we don't stop to smell the roses, God will make us stop. You know, he will give you a full pause. Um, and, and it's interesting that it happened in such a way where it wasn't singularly, but it was everybody everywhere. And I, I think it's much bigger than, you know, this virus that's out here. I think that, you know, we have to listen. You got to really listen and feel energetically what's happening with the world. There's a big shift going on, um, you know, and if you don't feel it, then, then you're not paying attention. But there is a major shift to some of us we will be afraid because change. Um, it can be scary to some of us. We won't be because we know that where we're rooted and we know why this change and shift is happening. So, uh, you know, once, once I was able to let the reins go and just kind of submit to the higher, uh, purpose and energetically what's happening, I'm okay. I'm good. And I'm welcoming this time to spend more quality time with my family to slow down and really, you know, reconnect with my thoughts in my center. So hopefully, um, hopefully you have, and everybody else has kind of found the bright spot in this as well. 
I, I think so. It, it did take a minute for me. My children are older, so I didn't have that part. I know a lot of people, and I'm curious, if, how was it for you? The homeschooling, what was that like when you first was like, wait a minute, they got to finish the school year at home. What what was that like for you? It was it was like a, a five alarm fire <laughs> in my head. It was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, the, just the big question of how? Oh, you know, we, I think we all gained a new appreciation for teachers. I think we've realized now that our healthcare providers and our teachers are our celebrities. They should be our heroes and they should all be paid more because to be able to take your children all day and be patient with them, teach them, discipline them. Oh my God, that is, that's a hard job. And, and it's a field I know that I wouldn't be good at. Yeah, I don't think I would have made it if mine were still in school and I had to teach. And they were in high school. Sometimes even when they would come to me and ask for help on a math problem when they were in school, my head used to explode. So I can only imagine if I had to try to do it every day because the new math and the way they, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> There's some of the new stuff they do. Um, is there anything that you guys have not been able to do that you really miss since we've been in quarantine? Um, my husband and I date nights, you know, just spending time with each other. We feel like roommates right now because like I said, we're tag teaming it with the kids. Um, so we just kind of see each other like, you okay? You okay? Yeah. All right. All right. You got dinner tonight. Okay. You got the baby tonight. Okay. So yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> Miss date night. I can believe that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was the fastest almost 30 minutes. It was it was a very great conversation. I can't believe we've been on here almost that long. Um, and I'll be sure to put information about people so they can follow you in the gram. And we're looking forward to some great things to see. Um, I know you said you can't talk about it yet, but uh, will will we be able to find information on your website when you can announce oh, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first to go? Just, just follow me on, on social media, Egypt Sherrod. That'd be great. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Um, if you'd love to uh, hear more from what we're doing at In My Shoes, you can hit me up at kdt at inmyshoestoday.com. Again, that's kdt at inmyshoestoday.com. Um, again, thank you so much. So glad to have Egypt Sherrod as my guest today. And until we can meet again, be blessed.